Hey, let's get started. We've got a lot of ground to cover, uh, as usual, but uh, we're going to keep the show moving. Uh, so would you pray with me as we get started this morning? <clears throat> Dear Father, we just want to thank you for uh, the blessing of another day, the blessing of life, uh, the, the blessing of life that you so freely give us in Jesus. We thank you for that. And uh, we're always thankful, Father, just for opportunities to, to be together, uh, to encourage one another, to, to love one another, and and to study, Father, and, and to uh, just allow us, uh, Father, to see the things you'd like for us to see this morning in your word. We're so thankful for uh, uh, the book of Romans and just uh, for Paul's passion in, in, in writing this, this book to the church in Rome. And Father, we're just thankful for... Uh, uh, what these words give us in life. They give us so much encouragement and inspiration and, and joy. Uh, Father, I, I just thank you for the gift uh, that's revealed in the book of Romans. Father, it's a precious gift uh, that you've blessed us with. And Father, I just pray that we might receive that gift by faith. And uh, Father, that it would transform our lives uh, and uh, that we would become the kind of people that you would have us be. Father, we're thankful that we... I called your children and that we can call you Abba, Father, and uh, we're just thankful, Father, for that relationship that connects us. And so I just pray that you'll bless us this morning, Father, as we study and as we dig in and, and just pray that you open our hearts and our minds to this study. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, just a little bit of a recap to kind of bring us up real quickly to where we are uh, this morning in chapter 3. In chapter chapter one, we kind of focused on uh, chapter one, verse seventeen, where where Paul says, "I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile." And he says, "For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith." from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So right here at the beginning, we have Paul telling us that the power of the gospel, the power of salvation comes from God, uh, and that we need to understand that uh, with all our hearts. And that, uh, uh, and that there's a righteousness of God that is revealed in the gospel uh, a righteousness, a gift of righteousness that, that he gives to us. Uh, and it's received by us through faith in Jesus Christ. It's interesting that right after this verse, verse uh, chapter 1, verse 17, that Paul immediately wants to tell us something else. In the next, basically, couple of chapters, uh, he, he talks about sin uh, and uh, how we need to to recognize a sin in our lives, how we need to take ownership of it. Uh, he says in verse 18, he says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Uh, so I think Paul wants us to understand that we, we need to understand where we are in relationship to God and His righteousness. And there is nothing within us uh, that would allow us to be justified by God. Paul himself says in 1 Timothy that he is the worst 
of sinners. He says, I am the worst of sinners. And I, I think the tense there that he uses there as present tense is very important to, to understanding where Paul was coming from. And I think he's trying to tell us that even within himself, he didn't see anything within himself that would, just, that would allow him to be justified before God uh, by any kind of righteousness that he might have on his own. Uh, so we need to understand that. We need to understand the ugliness of our sin, the darkness of it. Uh, like I said, we need to own it. We really need to own it. And um, so last week we kind of dealt with this sin issue that Paul talks about. And um, it's interesting, though, uh, and today we're kind of going to change gears. Uh, and in verse 21, if you, if, you, if you have your Bible, you might turn there with me, uh, chapter 3, verse 21. I'd like to read a few verses here to kind of get us into this. Again, I'm, I'm reading from the ESV. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace. Um, Let's see, lost my place there. I'm sorry, what what verse? Okay. There we are. And are justified by His grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a perpetuation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance, He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So we kind of have these two key words, but now. And Paul is kind of saying, hey, I'm, I'm going to shift gears here. I've been talking about the wrath of God. And he says, but now, he says, the righteousness of God has been manifested. Uh, the same thing, it's the, the righteousness of God has been revealed apart from the law. And I, I don't think that, I, we know, I think, that he's not saying that the law uh, has no value, is he? Uh, I think... We know that the law has a place and it restrains evil. Uh, it shows us the difference between good and evil. And it, it, and it points to and shows a need for, uh, for Christ, for a Savior. You know, there's one thing interesting about Christianity. I know you guys have heard this, that uh, Christianity is a unique religion. Uh, it's, it's the only one of the world religions uh, that doesn't require us to work to earn our salvation. If you look at any other world, other world religions, it's a work-based thing. We, we merit uh, our salvation. But Paul is showing clearly here, I think, that that's not true uh, in Christianity, that we don't earn it. There's nothing, again, within us that allows us to stand justified before God. Um, the, I wanna, we want to look at a couple words uh, here. Uh,
three great words that are kind of mentioned in this passage um, that I kind of want us to focus on this morning before we move forward. Uh, the first of these words is uh, the word perpetuation. Uh, you know what? To be honest with you, I've never liked that word because I don't think I really got it. I said, boy, that's a tough word. It's a tough word to even say. What in the world does that mean? Uh, but uh, the, the NIV would translate that uh, an atoning, a sacrifice of, an atone, of atonement, uh, which might be a little easier for us to understand, but then we, then we still have this idea of atonement. But what in the world does perpetuation mean? That's as translated by the, by the ESV. Uh, the word is actually drawn from the world uh, of ancient religion. Uh, and it's the idea of sacrifice, uh, of making sacrifices to appease the wrath of the gods. It's, it's something they, people would offer animals, they'd offer human sacrifices. And of course we know the, the Jews had their own system of sacrifice. So it's an idea of, of offering uh, something to, to uh, satisfy the wrath of, God, of the gods. But in God's particular case, we have God's righteous wrath against our sin. <coughs> Excuse me must be turned aside. Uh, and again, it's His righteous wrath. It's a wrath that comes about because of our sin, because of the way He hates our sin. Uh, and we know that His wrath is revealed against our sin. Uh, it says there is nothing we can do uh, to appease God's wrath, but it's God Himself who satisfies His wrath through the atoning death of His Son, Jesus Christ. <clears throat> so this is something that, that God does for us. Uh, something that we can't do ourselves. There's no way we can turn back God's wrath uh, against our sin. So we have the word perpetuation. It's the first of the three words that appears in this passage that I think we have <clears throat> a lot of try to come, have some kind of understanding about. The second word that we see uh, is the word justification. <clears throat> And this is more or less the central doctrine, uh, I think, of the book of Romans. Um, it's an important word, I think, for us to understand. And how it's, uh, I think it's important for us to understand how it relates to perpetuation or the atoning sacrifice of Jesus. Justification is what God is able to do for us. <clears throat> On the basis of perpetuation, the word perpetuation, through, though important for understanding, justification appears only four times in the New Testament. Justification is found 92 times, and the adjective justified 81 times more. Uh, so we have the idea of justification. and uh, just This word is a legal term uh, borrowed from the courts. In justification, we are given a right standing before God through faith in Jesus Christ, based on his atoning death on our behalf. So justification is a gift based on the fact that Jesus is an atoning sacrifice for our sin. Uh, it's, it's not like the word, uh, I hope we understand, it's not like the word acquittal. It wouldn't be the same as an acquittal in a, in a, in a courtroom. But our, our, the fact that we're guilty has not changed uh, when we're justified by God. Uh, it's just the fact that we've been justified before him because of the act of Jesus on the cross. 
So we're giving a right standing before God uh, because of our faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, again, it's a gift, and I think we, we need to understand that, and we all do. The last word is my favorite. It's the word redemption. It's a doctrine of redemption that's, that's a beautiful doctrine, I think. Um, you know, I think we all love stories of redemption. Uh, there's, there's a couple that have been kind of made famous here recently uh, in the movie, the story of Louis Zamperini, uh, the story of Unbroken. There's been a couple of movies out about that lately. But if you're familiar with that story, you love the outcome and what the redemption that uh, Louis Zamperini found in his life uh, after spending time in a Japanese prison camp during World War II and the demons that he fought for, for many years, but he found redemption, and uh, it changed his life. Um, another one that, that you might be familiar with is the story of Bart Millard, uh, of Mercy Me, uh, the relationship that he had with his father that was a very difficult one and inspired him to write the song, I Can Only Imagine. Uh, but we love stories where there's redemption. I, there's nothing I hate worse than sitting through a movie and there's no redemption in the movie. I just walk away and I say, oh, this is not, this is not working for me. Uh, but, of course, I see redemption in my own life um, when I understand uh, what Jesus has done for me. And, uh, and just the question I always ask is, what, what did you see in me? that was worth redeeming. And uh, um, I think Jeff and I had a conversation about this recently, and I, I, I liked what Jeff said. He says, I, I think God sees what you can be. Uh, he, he can see everything. So it's, it's about that. I think I, we can ask the question, what is there about me that's worth redeeming? But uh, I think God, uh, he sees something else, and I'm thankful for that. Uh, I'm very thankful for that. Uh, the word redemption is uh, a commercial term. has a special meaning uh, from ancient times as it might relate to buying a slave in order to set the slave free. Uh, of course, that's exactly what Jesus did for us. Uh, he has set us free from our bondage to sin and death. By paying a price for us that only he could pay. So that's really what redemption uh, is all about. So that's, that's the last of the three beautiful words, the three great words that appear in this passage. Peter said, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life, handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Peter puts it well there. I uh, kind of want to show you a, a triangle here, kind of give you some idea about the relationships between these three doctrines. You have God, Jesus, and us. Here you have Jesus uh, being offered as an atoning sacrifice to God to turn away His wrath. So you have the idea of propitiation or an atoning sacrifice. This is something that God does for us through the gift 
of Jesus' life and his, uh, his death on the cross. And then you have, uh, there are going between God and us. And you have the idea or the doctrine of justification. This is what God does for ha- on our behalf because of what's happened uh, as far as the atoning sacrifice or the perpetuation of Christ on our behalf. So we have the idea of justi- uh, justification where we've made, been made just before God. Uh, and then we have the doctrine of redemption, what Jesus does for us uh, by freeing us from slavery, uh, by, by paying a price uh, that we couldn't pay. Uh, he frees us from the bondage of slavery and from death. So you have these three great words, these three beautiful concepts. Any thoughts about that before I move on? It's, it's a lot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Good thought. I hadn't actually come up with that, Seth. That's good. I like that. Yeah. Any other thoughts? Three beautiful words. Worthy of some thought on our part. I mean, this is, this is what it's about for us. This changes everything for us. And right now, and right here, Paul lays this out for us. Um, let's go on down. Uh, in verse 27, Paul says, Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works. No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is, is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and, and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Um, you know... I think it's important. We've, we've talked a lot about faith uh, and how we're, we receive the gift of Christ through faith in Christ. Um, I think it's important. I know we talk about this word all the time. Uh, hopefully we all have some understanding of what it means. But I think it's a pretty important idea or concept for us to understand since it's really what saves us. Uh, and uh, so... I kind of want to talk a little bit about a definition of biblical faith. Uh, if we're saved by faith in Jesus Christ, it's important for us to know what this really means. Uh, I want to lay something out there for you. I think we all have some, th- some thoughts turning in our head probably right now about this. But uh, I think there are, there are three, com- three important elements of faith as we look at Scripture. Uh, the first element is knowledge. Uh, you know, we have, to ha- we have to know God. We have to have an intellectual knowledge of God. Uh, but we know that's not enough, right? Uh, Paul says it's not enough just to know it. Uh, uh, the demons know God. The demons recognize Christ as who he was. They knew him. So, of course, that's not enough. And then so we get in. We have to have this connection between the mind and the heart, uh, the moving of the heart. Related to the, to knowledge, 
something has to happen inwardly. Uh, or the knowledge is to no effect. It means nothing. Uh, so we have to have a movement of the heart uh, related to the knowledge. And then we have to have trust or commitment. We have to offer God trust, and, and we have to commit uh, to what he's called us to, uh, a turning and a, you know, a repentance, a complete repentance away from the life we once led. He wants us to trust him in that and be committed uh, to what he has called us. Uh, he's called us to be his children. So I think we have those three important elements. And, uh, and I, I want us to talk about that a little bit. Uh, but I want us to talk about it in relationship to Abraham. Because I, I think that Paul, right after he gives us uh, this passage at, first, at the end of uh, chapter 3, he, he brings up Abraham as an example. So I want to I read this passage uh, about Abraham, and then we're going we're gonna to apply this idea of faith. And what Paul has just told us uh, about these three doctrines, I want us to apply it to the example of Abraham and see, how, see if it works for us uh, as far as Abraham goes. So I'm going to begin reading in, in uh, chapter 4, verse 1. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? <clears throat> for if Abraham was justified by works... He has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. <clears throat> Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he has been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be accounted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father had before he was circumcised. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For it is, it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs. Faith is null and, and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham. Who is the father of us all? As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls the exist into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as it has been told, as he had been told. So shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead. Since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. 
No unbelief made him waver. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words that was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Um, before, before I kind of open it up here, um, I love this verse at the end of this passage, uh, verse 20, where it says, No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith and he, as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. Love, love that verse in, in this passage. But uh, let's spend a little time this morning talking about how the principles that we've just discussed in chapter 3, verses 21 through 31, apply to the example of Abraham. And my being appropriate, is, is, is Abraham even an appropriate example of these principles? Uh, in chapter 3, Paul's talking about perpetuation, justification, redemption. Does that apply to Abraham? Uh, you guys follow me on this? How does this all apply to Abraham? And I think Paul immediately gives us an example of what he's talking about, right? In Abraham? What do you think? I think one of the first things he's trying to point out is the direction of the arrows. Yeah. Maybe what the Jews thought. Mm-hmm. But that it was God not owing Abraham something. Right. Giving Abraham something. Very good. Yeah, very good. Yep. Yeah. The, uh, at the, the time that Abraham was alive, the law had not yet been established. Right. He was not under the law. Right. That's true. That's true. The law came with Moses, didn't it? Yeah. Sin. Abraham shows us an example of believing that God is a God of everything, mm-hmm. not just a God of a little bit. He's right. Right, right. And the God of everyone. Right. Yeah. What else? Abraham came before Christ. He was even before the law. Right? Yeah, John. Right. Trembled, and and the, the difference between that and, 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 and real faith, because there's a connection between you know uh, Abraham believed, and because he believed, you know, he took action. Right. I mean, th- there's a connection between uh, a, a huge step between just just uh, academic mm-hmm. belief and actually facing your life in that. Belief. Right. Right. Yeah. There has to be a movement of the heart that causes us to do something because of it, not just to acknowledge it and leave it there. We have to move. We have to move on it. Yeah, I think we'd all agree on that. Yes. Well, and I, I like that he uses when talking about faith the example that he immediately goes to is Abraham, because I think any of us know 
the faith that Abraham had to have. Think about mm-hmm. yes, anyone who's ever struggled to have kids and then yeah. they have one. Right. That kid almost becomes an idol to mm. that family. Right. And then to have the faith and be willing to make that sacrifice is I mean, I I I would like to say that I would be able to do it, but I don't think that I could. And I don't know very many of us that would that have that deep of faith in God to trust right. what he is telling us he is going to do. And so I love that that's immediately the example that he goes to when talking about that we need to have faith. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. There may not be a better example no. of it. Uh, and yeah, just... Faith, uh, Abraham had a lot. Well, he had some direct encounters with God, which is really rich, right? Uh, it's something I don't have. But uh, I, I just about say, though, I think he had a lot less than we do in some ways. Uh, I'm not sure he had the whole picture all the time. He knew that he was going to be the father of promise. But um, uh, so, yeah, just... Just the faith that he had in God was was an amazing thing, and, and and as it related to to the one child that God would bless him with would be the child of promise. Um, yeah, just uh, it's an incredible story. Anything else? Good, good thought. No. No. It's a tough. It's a tough doctrine. With what trust and commitment look like, maybe, yeah, 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 Jeff. And just to kind of just build on that is is how to um, not navigate back to a salvation by works mentality. Yes. Because once I've understood the grace, getting back there is just such a temptation. Yeah. Stay on the grace track. Yeah. Yeah, we want to go back there. I think. Because uh, we struggle with grace and what it really means, and uh, and you know, when I, I think this is one thing that Paul really wants us to know. I mean, obviously, Paul's life was transformed. He had some acts of righteousness as a Christian that he could fall back on and say, "Hey, look at me! Uh, look at how I've been treated for the sake of Christ." Uh, but he knew that was not the way any of us want to go because we have no basis. Uh, in anything we've done. Uh, even if you are the Apostle Paul, you have no basis in anything you have done. Uh, so, 
Yeah, it's just uh, we see transformation in our lives and we say, well, hey, look at me now, you know, kind of thing. But we forget where we've come from, for one thing, and really where we still are. So, yeah, good thoughts. Anything else? How You know, uh, Paul says uh, up in that first part of chapter 3 and uh, verse... Uh, Verse 28, he says, um, actually, I'm having a hard time seeing verses today in this light. Uh, 25, he, he talks about uh, this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. Um, does this have any application to Abraham? He had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time. Am I reading anything into that that I shouldn't be? Uh, my, my thought is Abraham precedes Christ, right? It's just the idea that, that the sacrifice of Christ went backwards as well as forward. Uh, that sacrifice definitely covered Abraham as it covers us. I don't know if that's actually what Paul was saying when he says, I have that he had passed over former, God had passed over former sins, but uh, it might be an application. What else? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a type there in there. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a beautiful idea. What do you guys think about this verse uh, down at the end there? It says again, where it says, "No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong." in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Um, that's a pretty good definition of faith right there, I think, uh, in that passage. Uh, he, believed in, he believed in God. He believed that God would do what he said he was going to do, that he would keep his promises. And I, when I think about that verse, I think about my own life and... Uh, how sometimes it's so easy for unbelief to creep in uh, to my heart. Uh, and I have a tendency to waver. Um, and, uh, and I wonder where God is in my struggles. Um, does he really care? Uh, and it... It almost causes me uh, to become paralyzed somewhat by fear. And uh, I kind of draw back within myself. But I, I think it's interesting what, uh, that in Abraham's life, his faith grew strong. His faith grew strong as he gave glory to God. Uh, and maybe that's a lesson for me and, and for all of us that uh, 
In those, in those moments when our faith might waver, when we might wonder where God really is, that uh, we still find a way to give him glory uh, in what he's done uh, in our lives. And that he is able to do exactly what he says he's going to do. Um, but sometimes we wonder. Uh, I know that he has never disappointed me. And uh, I know that he'll never disappoint you. But uh, we have to be strong in those moments, I think. When, when our faith tends to wane uh, as we struggle with whatever thing we're facing in our lives. But you know Abraham had those struggles. Yeah, John. Yeah. Because you talk about God's never disappointed us. Sometimes He does because we expect something from right. God that He has not promised us. Right. It's our own selfish desires mm-hmm. that we're looking at. Yeah. So, so if you really understand what you're saying there, then it's, it's a different view of life. It's a matter of whatever happens in our lives, we need to search for God's purpose and God's meaning rather than our own selfish desires. Right. Right. Which makes a huge difference in how we experience joy in life. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes he definitely disappoints our desires. Yeah. yeah. He'll never disappoint his. But, yeah. Yeah, good good thought, John. Gary? Yes? One thing I like about this verse, I hope I'm not reading something into it that's yeah. not there, but yeah. the verse says he grew strong in his faith. Yeah. So faith is a growing thing. Right. I mean, we, I think we need to be patient with ourselves. Yeah. Right. To the person who feels weak and like I just don't yeah. have faith, right? Hey, it, it, it's a growing thing. Yeah. So God will help you to grow in your faith. It's, yeah. It, uh, we don't need to be too hard on ourselves. Right. Yeah. I feel sure that after Abraham expressed his faith in, in Genesis fifteen six, there must have been times. Yeah. There must have been days at a hundred years old when he said, "Oh yeah, oh, there's no way I'm gonna have a boy." Yeah. Right. Kid. Right. So it, it was a growing thing. He was human. He was a great example of faith, but he was definitely human. You know, he had those struggles. And that, I think that's, that's a beautiful thing to point out is this is a journey. It's a journey. Uh, it's a process in our lives. And, Carrie, as you and I are getting older, I think we see it more as a journey, right, and how we've, how we've grown in faith. And uh, it's a beautiful thing. But, yeah, uh, we need to understand that. And uh, it is a process. It is a journey. Do I see another hand somewhere? Oh, oh, yeah. Hey, and maybe I'm just, I, I don't know. So I'm, I'm looking at this verse that says, Abraham never wavered. Yeah. And I disagree. I think he did waver. I mean, he decided, after God gave him that promise, he decided to try to do it his own way. Right. Mm-hmm. And we can look at that and say, you know what? I can have 
Yeah. point yeah yeah he tried to do it his own way there and, and work out real well for him and uh, he was human and he's a great example of faith but he was human and we can draw hope from the fact that uh, he did have his moments and of course the bible tells us about it doesn't it don't you love the bible it'll, it'll tell us about those weak those weak times weak moments but um, yeah it is such a journey and uh, but faith As far as our response to God, there's nothing more important, is there? Our faith. Uh, And how we receive that wonderful gift of righteousness that uh, He wants to give us through perpetuation, through justification, and through redemption. And uh, there's really only one response that we should have, though. And that is to wholeheartedly accept the gift and allow it to change us. Uh, however, God wants to do that. Sometimes that's difficult. Sometimes that's hard. But um, God always wants to show us a better way. He always wants to take us down a better path and in a better direction. And sometimes that's against uh, what we've decided is right uh, or what we've decided is the correct way to go. Um, so we need to have faith. Uh, we need to have faith. You know, there, there's one passage in Proverbs when I when I think about faith, what faith requires sometimes in this this part of it that's about trust. In fact I, I say my say this to myself a lot because sometimes I don't understand quite what God is doing in my life. And I it's a passage that says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. That's a wonderful passage to have at the forefront of your mind because we don't know sometimes, and we wonder why. And it's about trusting in God and realizing He's in charge, He's sovereign, He's seeing some things that you aren't seeing, uh, He's doing some things that you know nothing about. Uh, but a, a big part, I think, of our faith is just this trust that we need to have in God. Any other comments? We're about out of time. Hope you guys are, are studying with me. Uh, next week we'll be in the first part of chapter 5, uh, which is really a beautiful set of verses. So uh, this week, spend some time there. I'll be sending some questions out for you to consider. But uh, uh, thanks for studying with me this morning. You guys are dismissed.